So I'm going to hand it over to our speaker for today. So we have the wonderful Frank come to speak to us. So can I please? Giving us our Easter message. Okay, let's show him a bit more love. Yeah. So Frank is feeling uh, just a bit ill. So can we please, um, if possible, can we just stretch a hand towards him? We'd love to pray for him that God would just heal him. Yeah, Father Lord, um, thank you that you are good, God. And we just um, ask you right now, we proclaim healing over Frank in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for the word he's going to share. And um, yeah, we just pray that we'll have ears to listen in the name of Jesus. And thank you that this word will just penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, anything could happen, actually, because of the way I've been affected by this uh, thing. So don't worry. Yeah. Well, anything could still happen. <laughs> um, many years ago, I went to a conference, and somebody was about to speak, and, well, she did speak, and she lifted up her Bible and said, this is a love story, the story of the love of God for man. And I've never forgotten that. You know, the Bible is many different things, but I think this is the fundamental thing, that it's a love story. And I thought, what a better, no better time to explore God's love for mankind than at this time of Easter. Now, of course, Easter is a sort of Christian um, celebration is almost over. It's uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and of course uh, that is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great day, and it would be possible to, uh, I guess, only to talk about Resurrection Sunday, but I don't really think we can appreciate Resurrection Sunday without looking at the events of the previous few days. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to start from with the Thursday, talk about Friday, miss out Saturday, although I believe there's quite a lot to be said about Saturday, <clears throat> and then end up obviously talking about Sunday. So on Thursday, what traditionally is known as Monday Thursday, we think about the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, so-called Last Supper. And I think we remember this for two particular reasons. There's two particular things that happened then that we remember. The first is the washing of the disciples' feet. And we read about this in, in John's Gospel, John chapter 13, verses 12 to 15. You know, Jesus um, took a cloth and a basin and he performed what was really one of the lowest uh, tasks that there were in, in the household. 
it was something that certainly only servants uh, performed. And he said that he wanted to do this. And then he explained why he wanted to do it. He'd, he'd done it, he'd done this as an example. And it was an example, you know, obviously, first of all, to the disciples. This is what he said. Um, it's an example to us, because we're his disciples. <laughs> and the example is that however much authority we have, and of course, Jesus was about to give his disciples authority, but however much authority they had, they, to, they were to hold that authority with the same humility that Jesus used with his authority. You probably know that the Jews had really looked forward to a, a Messiah who would come and release them from the bondage that they were suffering underneath the occupation of the Romans. And they, this would have meant, obviously, somebody who was a sort of military guy. But right from the time when he came, right from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus demonstrated that that was not how he intended to liberate man. That was not how he, man he intended to release man from the grip that Satan had over him. He obviously used power, you know, he drove out demons and healed many people, so he wasn't unaware of the use of power, but the attitude had to be one of humility. And Paul, Paul spoke about this humility in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, saying that we had to have the same attitude of Jesus who can we get this one there okay. being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on the cross and this was exactly what he was about to do on the following day he was going to humble himself even though it meant he was going to die on the cross. So that's the first thing that we, why we remember the Thursday. The second thing is that we remember the words that Jesus spoke at supper. This is Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then the next verse, he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, 
which of the co of the covenant, or sometimes it says new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And of course, these words were fulfilled before too long. So this takes us over to the next day, to the day when Jesus, the day of Jesus's uh, trial and eventually this crucifixion. And it was then, say on the Friday, that these words of his blood being poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many were literally fulfilled. Now, I don't know how many people went to Leicester at the Cross. Any hands? One or two. <laughs> well, the story of, um, of the Cross was told that, uh, there. We, we didn't go, we went up to But the story of the Cross was um, full, well, was, spoke, was told there. And I guess there will be quite some detail of the agony that, uh, you know, the physical agony that Jesus went through. And of course, this is something that we do need to, to remember. We never need to forget the physical agony that he went, he went through. But it's not the detail that I want to concentrate on. It's what, in a sense, lies behind the detail. What was, it, what was going on? What was it all about? We already know to some extent that it was for our, that our sins would be forgiven. The important thing I want us to remember is that when Jesus went to the cross, he fully identified with each of us, fully identified with sinful man. Now, the, the whole story of which of how Jesus identifies with us throughout his ministry is quite an interesting story. But of course, it was on the cross in particular that he identified with sinful man. It's as if he had, you know, this is imagination, it's not, not Bible, it's imagination. As if he had this sort of, well not dialogue, but this, this sort of conversation with Father. Father, I know that you love these people, but I also know that you hate sin, that man must be punished. Father, that your will might be done, I willingly take my sin into myself. And Paul expresses this so vividly. It's just the first part of 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. <laughs> Now we can hardly imagine what this means, but it's what you know the Bible tells us about the love of God, that Jesus took our sin into himself. 
And of course, the effect on Jesus was so traumatic that he felt absolutely cut off from that relationship with his father that he'd enjoyed from eternity and certainly from every moment of his life as a man. And this was no doubt why he said one of his final words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's been pointed out by the scholars that this is the only public prayer where Jesus did not address God as Father. He must have felt so cut off that he started to doubt his relationship with his Father. So here we see somebody who spoke about his role on the cross, and then we see what he actually did. I suppose in one sense we shouldn't need both, <laughs> but somehow for me knowing both helps me to give God the honour that uh, I think is due to him. And I think there's one other point here about this thing that Jesus went through, this traumatic event that Jesus went through. If we ever, and we probably will, if we ever meet rejection, Well, Jesus suffered rejection. He went through re apparent rejection by his father. So if we ever suffer rejection, we know that Jesus, who's with us, understands. And of course, in the same way, because he was, well, so I've not gone into the detail, but you, you know the, how the mob mocked him and how he was flogged and so forth. He saw the hatred that there was. And if we ever meet hate or abuse, again, we know that Jesus, who's with us, has been there. He understands. But actually, Jesus's death achieved far more than this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the phrase "far more" I should use. He achieved more than this. If you remember, remembering the words that uh, <coughs> were <coughs> that we put on the screen, this is my blood of the new covenant. Now. Jesus was probably, well, almost certainly, again, all the scholars would agree about this, he was referring to the promise given by his father, originally given through Jeremiah, and it's now found, well, a couple of times actually in Hebrews, but in a fuller version, 
in chapter 10, verses 16 to 18. Hebrews chapter 10, six, verses 16 to 18. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. See, what this means is that if we become part of this, we know what God wants us to do to please him. And it's in our hearts, it's something deep. It's not just something because it's given us a command. We know that it's what our loving Father wants for us. And then if you take it a bit further, then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more, and so, which we've already seen, of course. So this is what Jesus was saying, would have in mind when he was talking about the new covenant in his blood. So when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't only identify with us, in our sin he not only took our sin upon us sorry took took our sin into himself he also identified with the new man who would eagerly embrace the promise that the father had given and by embracing this would become the righteousness of God. And if we can go back to, to um, 2 Corinthians, this is just the second half of Corinthians. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. And the power that Satan had previously exerted in the life of mankind that power that has driven them to seek their own way of doing things that had driven them away from being able to receive God's love that power in sinful man's heart and mind was now broken not because of the exercise of power by Jesus <laughs> but by the exercise of his love. So, <clears throat> that's why he went to the cross, and of course, he had to die because he was paying the penalty of the fact that from the earliest days of creation, man had yielded to Satan's power, as I said before. But, and now we move to Sunday, we know that Jesus did not stay in the tomb. One of the songs that we were singing earlier. So in Luke 24, and if you can just take us through this, beginning at verse 1 up to verse 7. First day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared. They were going to anoint Jesus' body. This, this is what they were hoping to do. 
But of course, when they got there, and just, just run this on as I'm speaking, when they got there, of course, they found the tomb empty, no body to anoint. And then they were, well, astonished and frightened when two angels appeared to them. And the angel said to them, and I, I just love this phrase, why are you looking for the dead among the living? Among the living? <laughs> Good question. And then they make the statement that is so precious to the Christian. He is risen. <laughs> and then the angel is going to explain that Jesus actually had foretold all this. He's spoken about this. He said this was what was going to happen. He was going to be persecuted by wicked men. He was going to die and then he was going to rise again to new life. And of course the important thing is that the fact that Jesus rose again demonstrated the fact that Satan's power in man's life had been broken. Paul was in no doubt about the importance of this you know, in people's understandings because there was some controversy at the time. One Corinthians fifteen seventeen. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. In other words, Satan actually would have won. <laughs> so, Resurrection Sunday is a great day. <laughs> great day. So we want to walk in this new life that God's that Jesus has, has won for us. And as we know, the role of the Holy Spirit in that is very important. He's our helper. And Jesus has spoken about the importance of the Holy Spirit many times, um, especially in the middle chapter, well, 14, 15, 16 of, of John's Gospel. But the, one to, the ones I want to remind us of, we find in John 7, verses 37 to 9. The last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He stood up, everybody's expectant, and he says, anybody who's thirsty, come to me. Drink from me and you will, rivers of living water will flow out of you. And then John explains, by this, Jesus meant the Spirit, 
because the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, obviously a large part of the glorification of Jesus was demonstrated in his death and his resurrection. There's still the ascension, was still to come. But Jesus was certainly glorified in his death and resurrection. So let's just look at one final thing which is tied in with the cross. This is the gift of the Spirit. John 20, verses 21 to 22. The disciples gathered together, locked door, fear of the Jews, and Jesus appears to them and gives them the appropriate word, peace be with you. <laughs> and then says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, there was to be obviously a subsequent outpouring at Pentecost and so forth. But even something we might think has no connection with the cross, the giving of the Holy Spirit, it seemed to have to await the cross, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, Jesus, obviously, Easter is a time, a, cos a time of, well, a cosmic event is the only way of discussing it, of describing it. It's a cosmic event in history. It shows the scale of God's love to mankind. Now, testimonies of God's love in our own heart, in our own lives, are encouraged. As a church, we encourage this. But just from time to time, it's good to kind of step back and look at the bigger picture of what Jesus did on that cosmic scale. We had a friend, he's actually a Roman Catholic priest, and he used to say, we are Easter people. We are Easter people. And uh, I think we knew what he meant. I think that he meant, first of all, that when we contemplate the events of Easter, we're filled with gratitude, with joy, and particularly on this day, we're filled with joy. Um, but I think he also meant that we live in the good of this time that we commemorate at Easter. So, can we agree we're all going to be Easter people? Yeah. <laughs>